0: Throughout the week, this week, I watched probably, as most of you have also, uh, videos of the war that's going on over in Ukraine, videos like a Russian fighter jet launching a missile right next to a family's home, uh, Russian tank, driving over a civilian car with an elderly woman inside just just for fun, it seemed like, and uh, it looks like she did survive it, even though the tank was on top of her car. Um, Some of you guys have probably seen these videos, it's hard to tell uh, which ones are real, which ones are fake sometimes, so be aware of that. Some of them are definitely, without question, very real. Uh, This is war. And I can't imagine seeing some of those scenes outside my living room window. Jets flying 25 feet off the ground, you know, children crying in the background. I think that's what brought it home for me and it made it reality. It's like I can't imagine my kids seeing a bomb go off in my neighbor's house, right, you know, or a missile landing right there. Um, this sort of thing, this war with Ukraine or on Ukraine, I think should, should cause us to long for Christ's return, shouldn't it? When he will execute perfect justice in the world, promptly, swiftly. Uh, It's going to be a time when Christ returns and he establishes his kingdom, when there is perfect justice. There is no such thing as an unjust war. Isaiah 2, 1-4 through 4, talks about nations not taking up sword against another nation. They're going to beat their swords into plowshares. And what's going to characterize that age is righteousness and peace and justice. Those are going to be the chief characteristics of that time period. And as Christians, that's something we should long for. And beyond that, we long for a new heaven and a new earth where all nations with all of their diversity, come before the throne of God to worship Him. And there is no more war. There is no more death. There is no more sin nature to cause it. Uh, read Revelation 21 through 22 this week. That's our the ultimate hope of the gospel. All of these nations, with all of their diversity, kings and the nations are bringing their glory into the new Jerusalem and worshiping God around his throne. It's such a beautiful picture. And what is going on in Ukraine is contrary to that ultimate hope. And it's contrary to what is pictured in today's passage, where two groups who are normally at odds with one another and hate one another, the the Jews and the Gentiles, they're going to become one in Christ Jesus. Jews and Gentiles, by Gentile we just mean a non-Jewish person. Uh, Jews and Gentiles are going to find reconciliation in Christ. He is the one that Ephesians 2 says removes the, the barrier wall of hostility that is between the Jew and the Gentile. And this, this barrier wall is not going to come down easy. Okay? Uh, in Acts chapter 2... The church was born, and God is going to make it clear he's doing something new by including the Gentiles, but it's going to take some convincing because this, this barrier wall, this iron curtain, has existed between the Jew and the Gentile for hundreds of years. It's not going to come down easy. And 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 like I said last week, you know, this iron curtain is going to come back up too sometimes. Throughout the New Testament, this iron curtain, curtain of the, the barrier between Jew and Gentile. It comes down, but you're going to see throughout Acts and throughout the New Testament, this wall keeps wanting to creep in. Kind of like what's going on today. I couldn't help but see that just now. Um, I said last week, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. And that's, that's why the, it's hard to knock down this barrier wall. This is one of the biggest transitions that takes place in God's program in in all of the bible in all of history we're basically going from israel and the mosaic law to now you know the church and 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 god's god's grace not not the mosaic law but the law of the spirit of life paul says and uh, that's not going to be easy for these jewish men like the apostles who have been reared in jewish tradition and all of the the Jewish teachings, to just give all of that up. And so it's going to take some convincing. This is a cultural and theological earthquake for the Jews. If you'll remember from last week, God shows Peter in a vision three times, gives him this vision three times, that uh, his heart for the Gentiles needs to change because the dietary laws are no longer in place, and if those are no longer in place, then there's no reason why a Jew can't have... Even table fellowship with a Gentile, okay? and uh, God gives him that vision three times to show him how serious he is about this matter he 's teaching him that peter i i don 't show partiality i don 't have favoritism, God shows no partiality between the Jew and the Gentile, and so we 're going to continue to look at some barrier crossing principles uh, that that'll help us i think uh, keep on advancing the gospel right we 've got to get past some barriers. And uh to keep advancing the gospel, if you missed last week this would this is one of those weeks where it's really good uh it'd be really helpful to go back online and maybe watch last week's sermon to sort of catch up a bit. This is like jumping into like uh Paul harvey's rest of the story here. we're going to pick up the story, but you want to go back and catch up on the first part of the story okay, but uh, let's pick it up in verse twenty three on the next day he peter got up and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. As he walked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know... How unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him, and yet God has shown me through that, the vision that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising an objection when I was sent for. So I ask you, for what reason you have sent me? Cornelius said, four days ago, this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour." And behold, a man stood before me in shining garments, and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded. By the Lord. So the first thing we see here, uh, Peter meets up with Cornelius. Remember from last week, for Peter to enter uh, Caesarea. By the way, did any of you guys uh, watch that video I sent you in the email? I'll send you another one. Apparently, there's a more detailed version. David Brewery uh, showed me those videos. I've been watching them. Uh, I basically spent a whole night this week watching those. They're pretty neat. But uh, they're addictive, right? Um, man, I'd love to go to Israel and see these places. But uh, <clears throat> I'll send you a more detailed version. There's a, there's a version of the Caesarea tour with more teaching. But uh, incredible place. It's important to get to know this place because it's going to come up more than a dozen times in the book of Acts. And uh, anyway, for Peter to actually enter this, this town, this city, which was the the seat of, you know, Roman administration, it represented everything that was wrong with Israel. Basically, it was like Rome's capital in Israel. Uh, For Peter to enter this place, or even enter a Gentile's house in this place, is like entering into enemy territory. This is a big no-no. This is a, you know, to the Jews, this is highly frowned upon. It's a cultural taboo. And it's not according to God's law that it is, but according to man-made laws. Going throughout the book of Mark, we talked a lot about Jewish Pharisaical oral law that was just man-made tradition. So God has His law. The Pharisees had their law to keep people from breaking God's law, you know, like a fence for a fence. And they basically had a anymore. You know, the Israelites were not living by God's law anymore. They were living by the Jewish catechism, basically, uh, man-made rules. And it kept a lot of Gentiles from coming to know the one true Yahweh. Okay? Because in God's law, it was not this distinct. Okay? The Pharisaical oral law prohibited Jews from entering the homes of Gentiles, eating with them, befriending them, because it taught that they said that it would make a Jew unclean. And all God's law said was for Jews to remain distinct from the Gentiles. Through various things like the dietary laws. But it didn't say that they couldn't have social contact with Gentiles. You can have contact, but don't basically let their gods rub off on you, if you know what I'm saying. So still remained distinct, kind of like us. We're in the world. We're supposed to interact with the world, but not be like it. So um, the reason for the man-made legalism that they had was because hundreds of years earlier, In Israel's history, uh, Israel had been pummeled and exiled to Babylon by God for letting the Gentile nation's gods rub off on them. They weren't even really worshiping God anymore. They had all these uh, pagan deities and idols in their temple, in God's temple, that they were bowing down before. And uh, you can read a lot about that in the book of Ezekiel. But uh, not associating with the Gentiles is now an overreaction to never letting that happen again. Does that make sense? Okay, and before we, we give them a hard time, I think, you know, <laughs> think about how many ridiculous man-made rules churches have come up with. They've gone beyond God's Word and said, we, you can't do this or that, you can't, you know, like even in our own history of fundamentalism, right? You can't, Play cards, can't go to the movies, can't dance. Like, if you wanted to be a member of the church, you had to say I know to these things because they were worldly. Right, this is going beyond God's word, isn't it? So, think of all the ridiculous rules out there churches have come up with that have become a barrier, an unnecessary barrier to gospel outreach. You think that hindered anybody from coming to know the Lord? I. I think so. I think it does a lot, and so that's kind of the first principle I've got for us: is we've got to champion God's word of grace, not man's word, not man-made rules that we come up with. Now, you know, before you enter our church, you got to make sure, you know, you're not doing this or that. You know, basically, it's not come as you are; it's come once you're cleaned up. And that's unfortunate. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. I'll try to get that online, but uh, we want to make sure that that we're operating according to the Word and not stuff that's made up by men because it's just going to become a barrier to the gospel. The church has suffered so much gospel advancement by promoting uh, just man-made junk that creates unnecessary partiality. One of the man-made philosophies that is infiltrating our churches today and teaching people to show partiality is critical. Race theory. CRT. This is actually teaching people to identify others by the color of their skin. The Equality Act, legislation like that. It's teaching employers to hire people based on their identity, based on the color of their skin, based on their preferred identity, so that we can have equal representation. And that's why our president did what he did this week, didn't he, when he appointed uh, or nominated this judge to the Supreme Court. How did he he choose her? He chose with partiality. You see, before he even started to look for candidates, he made up his mind he was going to search for a black woman. He chose with partiality. How do we know? He said he chose the best candidate. Maybe she is. Actually, I think she's pretty woke. Uh, But how are we ever going to know if she's really the best candidate? Or how is she ever going to know if she's the best candidate if he eliminated everybody who wasn't a black woman? That is... That's racist, isn't it? And I prefer the term ethnicism because there's only one human race. There's many ethnicities, and uh, I put a. This was supposed to be a devotional in your in your uh, in your bulletin this week, and it turned into an article, so a four-page article. Uh, I talk a lot about that and why that is, why he would choose to do that, but that is being partial, and that's what CRT does. It does not end racism. Whatever little racism was left in this country, I'm not denying there's not systemic racism places. But what little there was, a little flickering flame, is CRT is dumping gasoline on it and flaring it back up again, making us think about the color of people's skin before we do anything. So instead of hiring someone because they're qualified, we hire them because of what they, their representation, their identity. and um, again, it's throwing gasoline on racism. But uh, God is showing Peter, look at this, God is showing Peter the exact opposite. That's the exact, the way we should think in the church is the exact opposite of that. Don't show partiality. Don't show favoritism. The gospel needs to go to the Jew and the Gentile. It doesn't matter who they are. It needs to go to both genders. It needs to go to... (laughs) rich. It needs to go to the poor. It needs to go to the slave. It needs to go to the free. Don't show partiality about who you share the gospel with. We're to think opposite of of, of partiality. We're not to show partiality. And that's Peter's good news here in, uh, in the next portion, in verse 34, uh, is that God does not show partiality. That's his good news for the Gentiles. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. Favoritism, your translation might say. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, the Jews, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all, not just of the Jews. He's Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place in all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all people but to witnesses. There's our key word for Acts, witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Isn't that good news? Yeah. Peter's message here can be broken down into two main parts. And the first is that God is the God of the nations. That's another principle for us. God is the God of the nations. He doesn't show partiality. He's not just the God of the Jews. He doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. He's welcome to come. A man who genuinely seeks after God is welcome. Again, that's not saying that's not teaching salvation by works. That's not teaching that all roads lead to God. Most of the world believes that. It's teaching that everyone is welcome to him. Jew or Gentile, and just the opposite of universalism that would teach everyone saved uh, by their works or whatever, uh, it, we learn from the context that even though Cornelius fears God, and Cornelius is doing some religious things, he's praying, he's giving, it says in verse 14 of chapter 11, he's still not saved, and he's still not saved, even though he's very religious, because he hasn't heard the good news yet. He hasn't trusted in Christ and that's the whole reason God sends Peter to share this good news so that this man seeking God can be saved Peter's point is not that God's uh, interested only in the Jews receiving the gospel but all nations he offers salvation to all and we all get into heaven the same way by grace through faith in Christ By grace through faith in Christ. As they say, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. When we all get to heaven, we ask each other, how'd you get in here? What are we going to say? Grace. Jesus, right? Grace. How'd you get here? Grace. How'd you get in? Grace. No one's getting into heaven by anything but God's grace in Christ. It's pretty neat to think about. Why should we cross ethnic and cultural barriers to reach the lost? Because they need to hear and believe the gospel. Just like Cornelius. That's our third principle. Jesus offers salvation to all. And Jesus talked about this. He prophesied this in John chapter 10, verse 16. I lay down my life for the sheep. Talking about the Jews. But he also said this. I have other sheep. Ever wonder what he's talking about there? I have other sheep, Gentiles, which are not of this fold. And I must bring them also. And they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. And this is, this is new, guys. This is, this is a theological, cultural earthquake for the Jews. And that's why I think God sent John the Baptist. John the Baptist proclaimed this new program of God was, was being offered. It was coming, and uh, he's like the bridge, between the old era and the new era, it, that Peter is calling them now to embrace, which goes against everything that's in them. Uh, Romans, think about this, Romans that, he's, that he's, Peter's preaching to, they typically had a host of gods. They had many gods that were over certain regions and areas, and, and they had the mindset that all roads lead to God. You can bas- basically worship whoever you want, But Peter here in this sermon, I guess, to the Gentiles makes it clear in verse 32 near the end that's not the case. There's only one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and of the dead. Jesus is going to be the judge of every single man. We're all accountable to him, and the only escape from judgment is through faith in him. What Jesus did, Peter says, affects every single man, and it leads them to one of two destinies, heaven or hell. We're all destined for hell, but everyone who believes, he says, receives forgiveness of sins. They can be reconciled to God. Jesus is the only one, like we talked about last week, who can not only remove the barrier between Jew and Gentile, He's the one who removes the sin barrier between us and God. Because God's holy and we are not. So we've got to have Jesus Christ, the one who can break down this sin barrier between us, who takes our sins upon himself. He takes the justice of God for us and uh, gives us forgiveness of sins. As Peter preaches that good news to them, they believe and they're saved. Look at this. Verse 44 While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them, speaking with tongues and exalting God. And Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to stay on for a few days. So here we see a third part in our outline, the Gentile salvation. The Gentile salvation. As this small con- Gentile congregation hears the good news of the gospel, they believe. They believe the good news. And what happens is they're immediately baptized by the Spirit of God into Christ. The Spirit is poured out on them, and it's evidenced how by speaking in tongues, just like what happened in Acts chapter 2. And tongues, again, it just means language. Like my, my mother tongue is English. My native tongue is English. And so uh, this moment is pretty neat, though. It's been called the Pentecost of the Gentile world. I like that. The Pentecost of the Gentile world, this and the the external tongues manifestation, speaking other languages that was unlearned, uh, this is important here because it lets everyone know who's present there and later who hears the story about it, that the Gentiles have received the Spirit of God, they've received salvation without question. And that's why God allowed this to happen. That's why God had it happen. Uh, so that everyone knows externally what has just taken place on the inside of these Gentiles. It sends a clear message to everyone that we're all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek. That's 1 Corinthians 12.13. And I think the whole point of the gift of tongues had to do with just that, convincing the newborn church, this church that was born in Acts chapter 2, that the gospel is for the nations. Because the nations speak all sorts of different kinds of languages, don't they? And so by sending this gift of tongues where people are speaking in different languages and praising God in different languages without having learned it, and it's just you know it just comes out of them as they're filled with the spirit, uh, this is God's way of saying that He wants the gospel to go to all the world. In Acts chapter two, when we saw tongues last time, at the beginning, Peter will say, there was Jews from all over the world who had. Who spoke different languages? They've been, you know, uh, dispersed throughout all the world. They all they have adopted different tongues, different languages, and they come there. And what do you see when the Holy Spirit comes? That these apostles are speaking in their languages from all over the world. It's pretty neat, and uh, I think that that has some significance here too, because uh, here are all these. Different Gentiles Here's these Gentiles, and they're speaking in tongues. And if you're still thinking through what the gift of tongues is, my recommendation is that you go through Acts chapter 2, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, and go through it several times and write down the different ways that the gift of tongues is described. And uh, just keeping it in the context of acts. Keep that in mind, and uh, you know when you think of them as the, think of tongues as the ability to speak in a foreign language without learning it, it makes sense, guys. It makes perfect sense. So, so does the need for an interpreter, right? When you get to Corinthians. You know, there's not two different types of tongues. There's just one. They need an interpreter in Corinth because there's no one there who actually speaks the language that they're speaking. And if it was interpreted... Kind of like if I was up here in Spanish, speaking in Spanish, you guys would need an interpreter in English so that you would actually be edified. But there was people in Corinth abusing the gift of tongues, trying to edify themselves. You know, so they're edifying themselves. They're speaking in tongues, and like no, they're looking around. You know, like people are looking around, like what's this guy saying? We need a translator. So anyway, um, got some more in the notes on that if you want to read it. Uh, the order of events here, though, let's get back on track here with the order of events, uh, it's, it's really it's, this is really helpful. So they heard the message, they believed, they were saved and sealed for eternity, the Spirit baptizes them, they then spoke in tongues, and then they were baptized with water. This order helps us understand that salvation is dependent on nothing but faith. Nothing but faith. Look at this. There was no altar call. There was no laying on of hands. If you guys wonder why I don't do altar calls, there was no altar call here. There was no laying on of hands, like what happened with the Samaritans, and we discussed the reason for that. There was no water baptism. There was no going to the temple. There was no getting circumcised. There was no not. There wasn't even a prayer, guys, to receive Christ. Did you see that? Even though I think that can be really helpful at times to solidify a moment of salvation. In our minds, look at this. The Spirit comes without delay immediately to give them new life in Christ on one condition. Faith, belief, trust. However you want no, three words, same thing. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the one condition for salvation here. It's a perfect, I think it's a perfect example of Ephesians 1:14. In him, you also, after listening to the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. You heard, you believed, and when you believed, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise who gives given as a pledge of our inheritance. One condition, belief. Not what we do. It's not what we, about what we do, is it? It wasn't Cornelius' prayers. It wasn't his, his giving to the Lord that saved him. It was faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. Not what we do, it's not about what we do, but it's about trusting in what he did on the cross for us. Having believed, they're then baptized in Christ's name. Um, From there it says, Peter stayed on with them for a few days. Um, No doubt, eating bacon with the Gentiles. I'm just kidding, he probably didn't. Um, But he's no doubt eating with the Gentiles at the same table, right? He's enjoying fellowship. And uh, more importantly, he's continuing to teach them. Without a doubt, he stayed and he taught them more. And I found another good barrier-crossing principle here because we all have the... uh, There's a lot of barriers in the Christian life, and one of them is lack of spiritual growth. And the reason for the lack of spiritual growth in many Christians is because of their, uh, their lack of getting into the Word of God. Growth in Christ comes through the Word. A lot of people, I have no doubt they are believers, but their spiritual growth has been severely hindered or stunted because they aren't getting into the Word of God. I don't like to read. I'm too busy for the Word, that sort of thing. And pray that God, if that's you, pray that God would help you enjoy reading His Word. Because uh, I didn't like to read either when I got saved, but God changed my heart. And uh, I pray that He changes yours too, that you long for His Word, and and you'd want it more than all the riches in the world. That you would want it more than anything each day. But uh, I pray this because baby Christians aren't supposed to be babies forever. This newborn church is not supposed to be a newborn forever. That's got to go on to maturity. Peter says, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation. So you're saved and now you're supposed to grow and become more Christ-like. Uh, the writer of Hebrews, he reproved his readers for not being able to digest solid spiritual food. And so uh, this is important for us to grow as it relates to the advancement of the gospel because as we grow, we learn discernment in God's word and what's right and what's not. And uh, basically we become more effective tools for gospel advancement, gospel outreach, that sort of thing. So let's, uh, let's go through the first 18 verses now of... Uh, Chapter 11. Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Well, what a tragedy, huh? That's that's what's going through their minds. When Peter came to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised, take note of that, those who were circumcised took issue with him, saying, you went to the uncircumcised men and you ate with them. You broke our man-made traditions, and laws, broke our catechism, didn't keep it. and So they're, they're not happy. You know why? Because, because the Gentiles didn't come to the temple and get circumcised and go through some sort of you know ritual induction according to the law of Moses. And uh, this, this uh, snippet about the party, the circumcision here, the party of the circumcision becomes a, a plague in the church later on. Because, uh and it just becomes such a, it becomes another gospel is what it does. People, the, the, the party of the circumcision is always out there preaching. You can't be saved unless you're circumcised or some other thing. So they front load the gospel. And uh, anyway, Peter goes on to give his, his defense here. And uh, during this occasion, they actually... Um, it ends well, right? They actually accept the Gentiles. Look at verse 4. Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky. And it came right down to me, and when I had fixed my gaze on it and was observing it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth and the wild beasts and the crawling creatures and the birds of the air. I also heard a voice Saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice from heaven answered a second time, What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and everything was drawn back up into the sky. And behold, at that moment, three men appeared at the house in which we were staying. Uh, having been sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings, without doubt, without discriminating. These six brethren also went with me and we entered the man's house. And he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here. And he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. The beginning, Acts chapter 2. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us, also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they quieted down and they glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also repentance that leads to life. So when these offended Jews hear how God has divinely orchestrated all of this, all of these events, their response was that they glorified God. And that's, that's awesome. Peter says, here to show partiality, to deny God's reception of the Gentiles—these Gentiles who don't even know what the law is, they don't even know what your traditions are, right? They're ignorant of it. To deny their, to deny their acceptance by God would be to stand in God's way because God has made it clear this is the direction He is going. So I find that awesome, and uh, it means to us. We should have the same attitude. We don't want to stand in God's way. I don't know about you, but I don't want to stand in God's way and what He desires to do. And I found a good principle from this. Uh, the gospel does not only reconcile people with God, people with God, but it also reconciles not just vertically, it reconciles horizontally, people with other people. It reconciled these Jews with a Roman Gentile centurion who is a you know, they would look at these guys like the oppressors. You know what I'm saying? And now it's time to oppress no, they don't oppress. It brings reconciliation through the gospel. The gospel breaks down this barrier between Jew and Gentile, and it can bring reconciliation in our own relationships, as we ourselves learn to extend forgiveness and grace and mercy to others. See, the gospel teaches us how to, how to do relationships, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but I wouldn't have a whole lot of relationships if I, if I didn't know the gospel, if I didn't know how to forgive or show mercy to others. And if they didn't know how to show mercy and grace to me. The gospel heals. The gospel brings life to our relationships. And the life in verse 18 is a reference actually to salvation. Did you see that? The repentance, the change of mind that leads to life. That's a reference to new and eternal life that starts at the moment of salvation by the Spirit of God. This is the life that Jesus died to bring to all men who will receive him, regardless of who they are. Life that we should seek to share with others. And I've got a final principle for us, just to extinguish any of the partiality in us. Let's remember this. All men are created in God's image, which means they're all worthy of, of, they're all valuable, they're all worthy of uh, dignity, nobility. All men are created in his image, and Jesus died for all. He died for everyone. And so if you want to fight partiality today, I'm talking about racism, right? If you want to fight racism, you've got to aim for the heart. Because man doesn't have a skin problem. He's got a, what, sin problem. It's not a skin problem, it's a sin problem. Man's pride is found in the sinful human heart, and what he needs is, more than anything, is to be born again by the Holy Spirit of God. And so this means the greatest thing we can do to fight injustice is to reach out with the gospel and to teach God's words. Because those who have experienced infinite and undeserved mercy and grace and forgiveness are much more likely to extend that to others without partiality. And on top of that, they're more likely to get into God's Word where they learn awesome truths like we're created in God's image and that God doesn't show partiality. And there's a popular story about prejudice standing in the way of the gospel that I'm not the first to uh, share. And the story has it that the infamous Hindu teacher Gandhi he was intrigued by Christianity after reading the Bible. He believed that the teachings of Christianity would solve the oppressive multi-tiered caste system in India. How many of you know what that's all about? Right? There's there's elites and people in the middle and you know like there's untouchables basically. Unclean people, right? So and this is there's a caste system in India even today that's still there that is just a huge problem, and Gandhi saw the teachings of Christianity, and he said, this is the answer. This could fix the caste system in India, and so one Sunday morning, he's interested in maybe becoming a Christian, and so he goes to a church. He attends a church service in Calcutta, but he was stopped at the door, and they didn't let him in because he wasn't white and because he didn't belong to the high caste they wouldn't let him into that church. And that, from that moment, that was the moment where he basically said no to Christianity. He turned his back on it and said, I would be a Christian if it weren't for the Christians. And uh, partiality, we see, became a barrier, didn't it? Right there, to Gandhi. And there's something to be said here about how we shouldn't let you know fickle men become a wedge between us and God. Because right? that's not going to be a good excuse on judgment day for gandhi well you know the christians just weren't living right and so you know, that's not going to be a, a good response to god but there's also something to be said about how necessary it is for us as christians to be truly just to not show partiality and one of the ways we're going to do that is by crossing ethnic and cultural barriers to reach people that jesus died for to let some of the cultural and ethnic barriers fall and stay down.